Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. Uh, today's episode is the 2020 uh, Best of and Rewindies, and with me, as always, is Palmer. How are you today? I am good. How about you? I'm great. I, I didn't realize this was a musical episode, but uh, it, can, it, is. it can be. One a season. Wonderful. And uh, with Palmer is our... Is I would say this is the third time that you've been on. Uh, I guess Lisa from uh, the I Love That Movie podcast. I think this is the third time you've joined Fourth. us for the best of. That sounds Fourth right. Time. Third time for yeah, yeah, I think so. Third time for best of, and then last year's Oscar. Rap oh yeah, that's that's okay. that's yeah. true. Yeah, so, but thank you. So basically, any of our special episodes now. She's <laughs> Fantastic. Got to get you on a regular episode. That'll oh destroy, yeah, I know. Destroy you. <laughs> it's a lot. You guys put a lot of work into those episodes. A lot of, uh... and by a lot of work, we watched a lot of movies in a very <laughs> short amount of time. Pretty much that. Scott yeah. was <laughs> Scott was bright eyed and bushy tailed when he wanted to do one. That's right, and and he learned. He learned. <laughs> All right, so um, so we are going to go through our. We're going to go. To, we're going to go through our top tens of the year, and then if we want to rattle off some other movies that we just happen to like um, that are not in the top ten, at the end we um, we are more than welcome to do so. And we'll throw out our 2020 rewindies. Um, what are the best actor, actress design, so on and so on and so on of the year. It was a weird year for movies. Many of these we saw in our homes and not in the theater. Um, some weren't. Uh, some were delayed that came out in 2019 or were supposed to, and then didn't get in until 2020. So. Um, so our list will be varied and wild, and I can't wait to hear what everybody has to say. So starting with number 10, take it away, Lisa. All right. Uh, number 10, I had. I want to preface this by saying that I know you guys saw way more movies than me. <laughs> and there's probably some I... key really good movies I'm missing in this list. So kind of the last few are not necessarily like my favorite movies, but of everything I saw, they were the best ofs. Um, number 10 I had was a movie called Unpregnant which came out on HBO. Oh. Um, it's a road trip movie. It's about a girl that is a, is a teenager and she's in a state that has some strict laws and she gets pregnant uh, by her kind of casual boyfriend that she was about to break up with. And so she decides to, you know, do the, you know, have an abortion. And so she uh, goes on this cross country road trip with her friend because she can't legally have one in the state that she's in without parental consent. I realize this could be a controversial pick, um, but I will say that it was very funny and I like the chemistry between the two main girls. And yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a it was a fun as heavy as that sounds, it was a very lighthearted fun road trip film. <laughs> Well, that's, that sounds interesting. I didn't. I've never even heard of it. Never mind yeah. uh, making it on the list. I remember. I remember hearing about it, but I didn't. I hadn't watched it, which is weird. I, I like, saw it like on accident. Like it, it literally, it, it showed up on like HBO Max, and I was like, oh. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't. I, it was like a day that it was like a holiday or something. I had off, and I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do, and I just watched it. This is like the second or third movie with that sort of substance in the past year or so. It, it is. Yeah. There's also um, the one that's picking up steam for award season 
never, rarely, sometimes, always or something? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of things politically that are, you know, influencing subjects and films. And that's certainly one of them. This is probably the lighthearted, most lighthearted out of those, like to the point where it's like downright silly. Um, What's his name uh, is also in it. And he plays like a really funny character. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is in it. (laughs) I love Giancarlo Esposito. I know. It's just, it's like in the chemistry of the two girls, it reminded me a lot of like Ghost World, except less problematic, I guess, in modern times. But they kind of have that (sighs) dynamic of like Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson. Like it's a lot of that. And I think that influenced me too. And she dresses very like... 1990s grunge so i think all that stuff was just influencing me when i saw the trailer i was like i'm gonna watch this and it's entertaining 90s grunge road trip movie i have to watch (laughs) (laughs) uh palmer your your number 10 my number 10 is a movie that i wanted to see in the theaters uh i couldn't luckily they released it on demand which they've been doing quite frequently with speed um which is very nice but it has Diane Lane and Kevin Costner reprising their roles as Jonathan and Martha Kent in (laughs) Let Him Go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you and Scott um, said that I should that I should watch this. I never got around to it because it was only the the um, buy it or don't watch it at all. And I was like, I don't want to see it that bad. (laughs) Buy it or Uh, don't watch it. I mean, it's. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's really good. It's about. to an elderly couple uh, whose son tra- you know, dies of, I think he has a heart attack or a brain aneurysm, leaves behind a small child and their daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law remarries this guy, and she takes the grandchild away to another state, to the guy's, um, to her current husband's family's house. And they kind of go to see them because they think something's wrong. And it's just, it's a, it can be a plotting movie at times, but it is very well done. Kevin Costner is probably in peak Costner form. Mm. Mm. Uh, easily, I think his best performance probably since maybe the late or the uh, early 2000s when he was kind of coming out of his heyday. Yeah. So and, post Postman. <laughs> or Waterworld, well, I mean, even. Postman was 90s. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I would say the 90s was his heyday with, with uh, Robin Hood and JFK. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've always Field liked him Dreams, as an actor. Which is an 80s, yeah. but, yeah. 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 I've always loved him as an actor, so I wanted to see this movie regardless, and he's really good in it. Okay. If I had I known that's I what it was about, it. I think I would have seen it. Like, I think now I kind of want to watch it now that you've described it. I yeah. still want to watch it, but I still do not want to pay $20 to yeah, watch that's a it lot. in my home. I paid, like, what yeah. was it, like 30 bucks to watch Mulan, and I regret that. <laughs> so yeah. the, funny- the, way, the way that I saw because I also paid $30 to watch Mulan, which, spoiler, did not make my top 10 Me neither. Of, the, of the year. <laughs> All right. But, uh, so- but the way I'd seen it that I hadn't spent money going to the movies every week for so long, I'm like, I can spend $30 because I haven't spent thirty dollars in like four months. Absolutely, like I haven't spent any dollars in that. Yeah. that I that I was like, eh, whatever. One hundred percent. But I mean, like they like it was announced beforehand that it was going to be free in like two months. Like True. you just had to wait two months to. But if you cover yeah. stuff like on a show too, you kind of have to watch it. 
Yes. everyone else I would is talking say, about like, it and you're like, mm, I'm going to wait two months. Y'all still care about that, yeah. right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> mm-hmm. I will say Lisa definitely had to pay to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I, her podcast is more contemporary. <laughs> well, well if the, we did it on, if Frank and I covered it on Beer with Geeks, then it, uh, then it, like, it would have worked, but, um, we decided not to because we didn't have anything to say about it. You're slash, like, I don't even movie. know if Frank saw it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. It's, it's a movie. It all right. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to move to my, my top 10, which is, uh, an HBO movie as well, uh, Bad Education. Uh, with oh. Hugh Jackman and Alice and Janney. It is the true story of um, a superintendent of a school system on Long Island that uh, has been – They he and the assistant superintendent basically have been like funneling money to f- like fund their lives um, for so long. And there's a bunch of like other secrets and stuff that happens. But it's about a kid in the school writing for the school newspaper who finds out. Like, and she like does the legwork and finds and finds out like where the money's been going and all this stuff. And it was really good. I would say I was probably biased towards it because I work in education. And so like watching this, like I I felt like I had more of an investment in the events of the film, even though I don't live on Long Island and I don't know these people, <laughs> but I can, I can like see, I can understand how it happens, why it happens. I know people like that. And so um, kids and administrators. So um, uh, so I really enjoyed it. I would say it's probably just a movie. Like I, if anybody is like, like, oh, that sounds good. It was good. It's just a movie. Like there's nothing I would say special about it. But I liked it because of my personal connection to education. So – Confession. I thought that was a TV show. <laughs> I thought that was like a oh. limited series. So I didn't even realize it was a movie. But the trailers looked really, you know, compelling, inviting. And um, when you say you see how something like that can happen, I actually something sort of something shady happened at a school I went to where I won't get into it. But basically the uh, principal and then someone right under them like up and vanished and took like furniture with them. <laughs> like it was shady. Um, but like, furniture. yeah, yeah they, I guess it was there. We're moving into a new yeah, home. Who wants like, to take took, school like, furniture with them? with them? Like that were at the front or something like that. Um, it was a really small school. It's a complicated story. They, it was like a charter they, school, not like a big public school, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was like weird. And you know, we never got the full story, but that, that, um, I can see how things can happen behind the scenes, I guess, after that experience. They have a dinner party and it's the it's the desks with the chairs attached to <laughs> yeah. it. I know I realize like the more I think about the more I'm like this is like a whole podcast. Never mind. Let's talk about it later. <laughs> it's too much too complicated. You don't have time. I got to walk the dog after this podcast before the sun goes down. We don't have time um, for long stories. But anyway, yes, bad education. I I do I do recommend. Uh, Lisa, you're number 9. My number nine is the old guard. Um, I, so like this action flick came out and I I think right before this one came out with like, uh, Thor, right. There was like a, yeah. Yeah. Extract. Yeah. That one did not grab me. I was like, "Eh," we watched it and I was kind of fading in and out. And then this, the trailer for this one dropped and I was like, see, I kind of like that this one has like, you know, immortals in it and there's some kind of lore and like universe I need to kind of get into. Um, and 
I thought it was good. I mean, I thought like the action was exciting to watch and I thought that Charlie's Theron once again proves that she should like be a superhero or something like everything she does is like amazing. Um, mm -hmm. She was compelling and very interesting as a kind of a somber, serious lead female character, something you don't see very often. Um, but I mean, I put it at number nine because I, I don't think it was like amazing. I think it was like fun. There's something there. Certainly I would like to see more of it. It just didn't like blow me. And it wasn't like John Wick three, you know, it was just kind of, it was okay. So mm -hmm. that's, that's how I felt. Okay. I, I really liked it. Um, there will be a sequel, which is good. I think Charlie Theron is really good in it. Um, and if you really want to get ahead of the curve, it was a comic book. So oh, there are right. two or there are two or three graphic novels out there. Okay. Um, and they're by not, not Brew Baker, Rucker, I think. Oh, nice. nice. It's one of the two. Okay. But yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I never got a I never got around to it, but I I liked everything that you said. I liked the I like the uh, the idea of lore, and I like Charlie's Theron as an action hero, um, on principle. I think, um, and so uh, I will be checking that out in twenty twenty one. It's good. Okay, uh, Palmer, you're number nine. My number nine is a Hulu original movie. Uh, came out in the fall, starring Sarah Paulson as a mother who has a daughter who is confined to a wheelchair. They kind of live a kind of isolated world. She is, uh, her daughter is homeschooled. The mother's really the only one that leaves with any sort of regularity in the cabin. The daughter starts thinking something is up as she is getting around to going away to college. She wants to go away to college. Her mother's been kind of fighting her on it. Um, it is really good. It's a very tense movie. What's it called? I don't think you said. Run. Run. Oh, sorry. Okay. Run. Um, it gave me very, very misery vibes. It's misery yeah. in, the, in the feeling or misery in the film misery. <laughs> no, the the movie is really good okay. and and super tense. Uh, it gave me the feeling because they're in an isolated area. They're not really, you know, they're on the outskirts of town. And they're kind of in a log cabin. So, that I mean, that was essentially misery. And... And one person is confined to a bed. Well, and it actually does sound a lot like... So, I think the last season of Castle Rock, they... Um, I can't remember what the name of the actress is, but she plays the character from Misery when she's younger. And she's sort of misering right. her daughter. It's complicated, but it sounds like the plot of that movie. <laughs> like, it's very similar. You know what? It... From what I remember, it kind of yeah. Is. So yeah. I can definitely see the misery vibes for sure. And yeah. is that is that based on a true story? Because I feel like they made a movie that was based on basically they. I don't know if it's too much of a spoiler, but the child has it's like it's about like Munchausen syndrome, right? Munchausen or is that how you say it? Where you convince your kid that they're sick and they're not actually sick? gaslighting. Uh, I mean, I would definitely yeah, I would definitely go with. Gaslighting, although, oh, okay. Okay. yes to your question, but not in the way you think. Okay, okay, because there was, I remember, like, I listened to, like, a podcast about someone that convinced their kid that they were sick and convinced everybody and, like, raised a bunch of money for their sick child, 
And for, I mean, for years and then it ended really tragically, but anyway, they made movies about it. And I was wondering when I saw the trailer, I was like, I wonder if this is one of the movies kind of like based on that, but I could, I could see there being something to that, but I would say more in the way of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) is based on Ed Gein. That makes sense. (laughs) He was a serial killer. We also have a serial killer in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's similar. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. I, I get it, and yeah, I feel like I'm revealing a lot about myself during this podcast. I listen to stuff like that, but you know, I listen to a lot of true crime. So, <laughs> you and a lot of other people, this I, I is wouldn't true. be too embarrassed about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a reason it's a genre and it's popular. Yeah, that essentially started podcasting, right? I mean, it was like one of pretty the pretty much. Yeah. yeah, that and TV shows, really. So, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, um, my number nine is also a Hulu original film, and that is Palm Springs. Yay! Yeah, which I found I would... utterly delightful. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I can see you. I, you you want to say that. I haven't seen it. I was worried <laughs> when you said it was a Hulu original that it was going to be bad hair. Oh, no, I did not watch. I don't even know what that is, to the... be perfectly honest. It's a honest. movie about killer hair. I saw the trailer for what it. What else would it be? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I didn't watch it. No, I'm I'm good. No, that is not what I was thinking of. No, <laughs> Palm Springs is about um, is about uh, this uh, Andy Samberg who like goes to a wedding and just like repeats the like they have to he has to repeat the day like Groundhog Day, but um, Kristen um, Melody is that how you say her last name? I think it's Melody. Um, she like also gets wrapped up in the day, so it just repeats their day over and over and over and over again. J.K. Simmons is in it. And he's like vaguely the safari hunter from Jumanji. Seriously, like a real yeah, guy. That's accurate. And, <laughs> yeah, and it I, it was like so much better than I expected it to be. I was like, this sounds like a dumb premise, and that and I laughed from start to finish. And I found I found Andy Samberg like really subdued for Andy Samberg, for and sure. I appreciated like he was performing as opposed to just being Andy Samberg, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think the editing was the thing that sold that movie for me, just because it it moves at a really nice clip, and you and you understand the, but at the same time you understand the longevity of their situation. And I think that's all editing, really. So that's a really good point. I totally agree with you. That that movie was great, and uh, yeah, I think Andy Samberg he proved that he could be a serious leading man. Which yeah, he's always on. Um, in almost mm-hmm. all his projects. And that's kind of his thing, which I respect, but it's like vaguely Adam Sandler-ish. And it, it can, it can get to a point where it's like, you're almost like a character of yourself. Um, that's right. And I think that he did such a good job of, of just being himself in a more subdued way. And, uh, the character is very, you you become very like sympathetic and invested in him in ways you don't anticipate. When you first see the no, trailer, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and and for for the whole cast, really, and yeah. uh, so I thought it was. Um, so I thought it was great. I, I highly recommend it. It was probably one of the funniest things I watched all year. Yeah. No, yeah. Good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see it mainly because of Andy Samberg. So. <laughs> yeah, if hearing you, he's. Yeah, if if you dislike him. Because, like, he's fine. He doesn't really... It's not one or the other for me, but I liked him in this movie. He didn't grate on me, so mm-hmm. I would recommend... Okay. I'd recommend it uh, just for that. Um, right. Lisa, your number... Oh, sorry, Palmer. Go ahead, if you want to say something. No, I was saying... Good, good. Oh, good. Excellent. Lisa, <laughs> your number seven, please. 
Uh, did we oh, do no, eight? Number yeah. eight. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, my number eight is Enola Holmes. And oh, nice. I yeah, I liked sh- Enola Holmes. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked that I liked this movie. I know that sounds bad, but from the trailer, I was like, oh, this is kind of gimmicky. It, it's kind of you know they're just trying to put something out that's similar to something else. Like I kind of walked in like not really wanting to watch it, but I was like, it was again another day where I was like, well. I got nothing else going on. I'm kind of bored. And I watched it and I could not believe how much I enjoyed it, how exciting it was. I will say that I think that what's his name, Cavill, is like almost not needed in the movie. Sounds weird to say that, but it's like he's a very weird Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) He's just not. He's a weird Sherlock Holmes. I agree. Yeah. And I was worried the movie was going to give me like Sherlock vibes a la rdj's sherlock or something you know what i mean like a guy richie sherlock but it's not like that yep. at all it's very it is fun it is kind of light-hearted it's quirky um but it is really legitimately good like i could imagine if it had had a bigger budget and a theater release i think it would have done well um because i think it deserved that i, th- I actually thought it was that good and i found out later it was like based on books which makes sense because I felt like the story was really good too. And I was also shocked by that. Um, so just all around a pleasant surprise that I really enjoyed. Yep. I agree. I liked that it was a, like there were a couple layers of a mystery as opposed to just one or it was like, it's actually a coming of age adventure, but we'll pretend that it's a mystery even though right. you know all along like this. There's a lot, there's a, there's a lot working for it. And I think the, the framing of, Millie Bobby Brown talking to the camera really works. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it, it add, there's a lot of charisma that comes off of her and mm-hmm. she plays, she plays up the camera humor really well. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. Palmer. <laughs> I, I liked it. Um, I will say I, the, it missed my top 10 for a couple reasons. One, I thought, I, I agree with Lisa. Cavill as Sherlock is a little weird, and I would prefer uh, he not be in it. I also felt that the fourth wall breaking with the camera was a little too much at times. I mean, those so were... basically the, the the half of what we thought. <laughs> <laughs> and we I mean, all if that doesn't that work for was you, not a great fit for Holmes, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And if that doesn't work um, for you, then I... yeah, that's a hard movie to watch because I, I also feel like a, a period piece doesn't usually have that aspect to it. So I could see yeah. how that kind of, I mean, it could potentially take you out of the movie. You almost have to pretend like she's talking to a book or something. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, she was excellent in it. I. You know, the, there was nice action pieces, a lot of lighthearted humor. I also liked uh, the guy who played the other, um, Mycroft. Yes. Um, he was good and very was, easy to hate. He was in Hunger Games, and I can't remember his name. But uh, Oh, was that, he, was that Sam Claflin? Is it the guy oh, from, like, the Pacific Rim movie, too? Like, he just looks severe and scary. Is that who we're talking Or no. He looks severe. <laughs> Severe? Yeah, like Sam Ca- Clap. Yeah, you were intense. right. Sam, Sam Clap. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Clapin. The guy from the wheelchair bound guy in the Amelia Clark movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the one. I'll love you forever until I kill you, or whatever the name of that movie is called. <laughs> I can't remember. Wow. Uh, way to spoil the entire movie. 
<laughs> you don't know who kills who. You don't know who kills who. I'm not who. even sure what movie Just... you're talking about, so I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, no spoilers for me. I'm, I'm, I'll be good. Uh, that's great. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Palmer, uh, you're number eight. So, yep, yeah, my number eight. So my list from like 8 to 15 were all kind of nebulous so much so that the the bottom part of the top 10 kind of changed within a few times in the last 24 hours this movie i just watched today oh wow uh starring hillary swank and michael Earley, and it's called fatal hillary swank plays a detective who meets this guy in vegas has a one night stand with him he is married. He, she does not know this. And then his house gets broken into, and she's the lead detective on it. Oh, gosh. Wow. And it, uh, it kind of devolves into a mystery from there. She is troubled with stuff in her home life and in past instances. He obviously had a marriage on the rocks to begin with. Um, there is murder, mayhem, and it... It's a fitting name to be called Fatal, and it is very good. It has some good drama. Hilary Swank is excellent in it. Um, I really like when I see her pop up in random films, but it was uh, very good. It just went to uh, the $20 on demand this week. I was about to ask you that. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. where do I watch it? And then when you said that, I was like, oh, like it was hurting me, like an arrow. <laughs> I'm gonna write it down though. Yeah. I'll be seeing that one later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. No. It. Yeah. It was. It was really good. Um, I mean, there's not much else to say about it because I don't want to give. You know, it, it has twists and turns, and uh, it was. It was good. Good. All right. Especially for a movie that I didn't know anything about going in, other than just Hillary Swank was in it and this was the you know this was the basic plot mm. would uh would, would you consider that any movie have a lot of twists and turns if you don't know anything about it like I wonder what's the threshold for having like lots of twists and turns if you don't know anything? <laughs> yes yes and I would actually I would also wonder if I went back and watched the trailer now seeing the movie if the trailer would have given away a lot of it because mm. if it would have I would have been very I would have been very disappointed as possible. Um, my number eight is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is the the latest Aaron Sorkin film on Netflix. I thought it was wonderful. I sadly knew almost nothing about The Trial of the Chicago 7. That was like a, you, that get, you get to that point in history class where people go, okay, this is a, we had to move on to other things, or oh, it's the end of the year because I lived through <laughs> this, so you should have too. Um, you know, as some history teachers tend to think, like I was alive in '77, you weren't. Um, Pretty much. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, so I um, so I didn't know much. I knew a lot of the I knew a lot of the names, um, but I didn't really know the outcome of the story. I thought it was very good. I think that Sorkin is a better writer than he is a director. Like I think all of the movies he directs are good. They are like they're well-made films, but sometimes, like somebody, uh, Palmer and I talked about this on a um, uh, an episode of Academy Rewind that's coming up, where like some directors are better writers than they are also directors, um, and some sometimes you need somebody else to take your material and do something uh, and do something different and magical with it. And I think Sorkin falls into that category for me. Um, so I very much enjoyed. 
um, Trial of the Chicago 7. I thought everyone was really good on it, especially, especially Sasha Baron Cohen, who I thought was excellent. Um, I didn't realize it was him. Yeah. Um, he's so talented. And, he really uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I thought I thought it was I thought it was very well done, timely, uh, as as many as many about many movies about civil unrest are right now. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that movie is really good. Um, I had weirdly just watched a documentary uh, on PBS called The First Rainbow Coalition, and it's different from this movie and different from, I think even a different time, but it's kind of got some similar vibes in what was going on. It was also something that I had no idea about. I think I'd heard that phrase before and that's about it. Um, and this movie, the trial of the Chicago seven sort of has similar subject matter, although it centers around that trial and it really goes deep and, yeah, it feels very timely. I think we can get to a point in our history where we're like, man, I can't believe all this is happening all of a sudden. And it's like, well, you know, if you dip back into history, <laughs> things have happened before uh, that may be related. And so I thought the movie was also really good. It was written really well. I think I agree with you there where almost like the dialogue is better than maybe the directing but because mm-hmm. it's got such an amazing cast that's so talented, also on top of that, I maybe didn't notice that aspect as much. But I really liked it too. So that's it. There was a there was a meme I saw online after this week that kind of ties into what Lisa was saying, where someone was like, "I can't believe this is happening. This is happening in America now," <laughs> and it's like opens history book. Oh no. Oh no! No! Oh! Oh God! No! <laughs> yeah, like, oh. Oh. History book. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Yeah, it was a really good movie. Um, and like I said, I I didn't realize it was Sasha Baron Cohen until the end. The entire movie, I'm sitting there going, I know this guy from somewhere. <laughs> Where the heck do I know him from? The credits. I, also, I know oh, him gee. from the credits. <laughs> from the credits. <laughs> uh, and then also, I thought Mark Rylance did a really good job. I typically feel like Mark Rylance does kind of the same type of person in a lot of movies. Uh, so it was nice to see him play somebody a little different. Although he did remind me a lot of his character in the uh, in the Steven Spielberg movie. Bridge of Spies. Or the BFG. Yes. Either one. Was it the BFG? Because he was in that no, no, too. It was Bridge of Spies. I haven't seen oh, BFG. Okay. All right, uh, Lisa, your number seven. My number seven is Palm Springs. I nice. really loved nice. that movie. Everyone kept talking about it again. I make it sound like I'm so resistant to new things, but I'm really not. But it, again, it was kind of a movie where I thought, eh, that premise looks kind of silly. Like, uh, it's going to be a goofy movie, but it's not. I mean, in addition to everything that you said, uh, and you put it so well already about, you know, um, Sandberg being just different in this film and, and being more nuanced and the cast being great. I think that it's a little deeper than it appears. Um, it's funny, but it's also kind of deep. I mean, there's there's some tough things that the characters deal with and go through and it doesn't feel forced or, you know, they don't go into it too, too much. Like to where it's like, okay, side story, we both have a horrible past and we're going to dwell on these. It weaves into the story enough to where it just, is there and it's part of it. Um, and I think that, that extra level of realism, 
uh, with their, their backgrounds that you find out later in the film add a layer that it doesn't feel like just Groundhog Day again. It feels a little different than that. And yeah, I think it was an incredible movie and I won't keep going because you already covered it, but yeah, I liked it a lot. No, but you added so many good things about it though. So it was <laughs> really great. did. I still haven't watched it. You should. That's great. Okay. Yeah. You haven't watched it in the 15 minutes. <laughs> I actually have it. About it. Yeah. I have it on the TV right now. I'm reading it in between. Excellent. In between well, numbers. Well, press pause because it's your turn. What's number seven? <laughs> Yay. For you? Number seven is a movie. One of the first movies I saw this year. Um, so it has longevity to it. It is directed by Leigh Whannell, starring Elizabeth Moss, who I absolutely love and adore. <gasps> Invisible Man. Did you choose? No, it's oh. it's the it's the live action West Wing episode. Oh. Oh, Sorkin oh, wow. didn't direct the live-action West Wing episode? I thought he did. No, it's Invisible Man. I just... Oh, wow, oh. I didn't actually think you would bite on you that. You tricked us oh, both. No, I, you <laughs> I really did. You hoodwinked us. Um, yep. The, so, the modern retelling of The Invisible Man, it was it was great. Like, I I like Walnall's stuff, or however you pronounce uh, his last name. I like his stuff after Saw. I I got on the Saw bandwagon very late as far as seeing the first movie, and everyone was like, it's the greatest thing ever, so when I finally saw it before the second movie, I was like, it's okay, I kind of knew what was going on. There weren't nearly enough Saws in this movie. Yeah, (laughs) but he did the, you know, he's been in, he's been in the Conjuring stuff, because he typically teams with James Wan, he also did Paranormal Activity, if I remember correctly, and this is a modern retelling of The Invisible Man very well done. I like the sinisterness that they bring to it from the beginning because after watching this during quarantine, I went back and watched the original Invisible Man because it was available on Amazon. Oh. And, yeah, and I, it's a completely different movie. Like, the original is a little bit goofy at times, and Claude Rains is great, but this one has a very sinister tone and very menacing because of the way it the way it's shot and the way it's kind of um, structured story wise. It's more of somebody stalking somebody, and they could be anywhere, like a stalker. But in this case, you cannot see him, no matter what, and that is a very creepy feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked. Uh, I saw it, and I liked all the things that you said um, about it. I liked the the when Bloomhouse goes commentary a mm-hmm. bit, and they did that uh, a lot in this film. The um, the idea of toxic masculinity and and gaslighting and those and that mixing together with with a creepy concept. Um, so even if it's so radically different from the original Invisible Man. I think it's it's better crafted. It, it's really well told, Absolutely. and it and it shocked me several times, which normally yep. doesn't happen in a lot of in a lot of stories. Just period, especially horror tends to um, um tends to be pretty formulaic, and so I um I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not going to say too much because it's on my list too, <laughs> so I'll save it for that. Yeah, I I imagine. <laughs> I imagine it's up there. Yeah, for you. but um, but I agree with everything you said. It, it's really good. I think the original was more 
the invisible man is more the the main protagonist and he's more the antagonist in this one and i think that was a good route to go because i think when you step back and think about the things he does it's like how do you really make him a hero (laughs) like so I think yeah. under a modern lens, that's it was a good way to flip it for sure. And plus, it was just surprising, and it's more exciting that way um, than if you're if you're the invis- if you're seeing it through his eyes. It's I think it's less exciting. So yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, and I, I like the idea of where the invisibility comes from and mm-hmm. how that actually plays a lot into the development of his character and then her character. And there's a lot of like, and where they kind of go from that without spoiling anything in the movie. And, you know, there's like a, there's, it's not just like, Oh, he's a, he's created a formula, you know, and yeah. that's, or something like that. It's not, um, yeah. Or like they, they steered away from hollow man, which is what I thought several times during this movie. And, and it's good. I, yeah. Which is, um, yeah, but I think it just didn't retell that movie because mm-hmm. Hollow Man is nothing right. but the, you know the Invisible Man retold over again. So, um, so I very much enjoyed it. I don't have much more to add because it is also my number seven. Fun fact. Oh, nice! Um, wow, great minds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Lisa, if there's anything you would like to add to, uh, add to, well, we're at two out of three out of number seven on Invisible Man. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Um. No, I mean, it's on my list, too, a little bit higher, so I guess I, I might save it for that, but, I mean, I think okay. we all agree it was good enough to be in sort of the the top of our lists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, like Palmer said, his reshuffled a lot, um, as did mine, and it it was it was the number one, two, three movie for mo- most of 2020. Same. So, same. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, it was great. Oh, Lisa, what, your yeah. number six, then. My number six is uh, The Devil All the Time. Um, nice. I, okay. you know, saw the trailer for this movie, and I think, you know, like, me and my husband always joke when we see certain things in a trailer, we're like, that's a Nick movie, that's a Lisa movie. This felt like a Lisa movie to me, because it was like <laughs> a drama, it's dark, there's a crime element to it. Um, it's a period piece, like every single thing that I always look for. Um, and it was fun seeing, you know, Tom Holland be a different person. Um, because I think we get so used to him being Peter Parker that it's like, we think that's all he can do, but I mean, he's an actor. Um, he can do a lot of things. Um, and I thought that he was great. And then the most insane performance, of course, in the movie is Robert Pattinson, who, you know, with I went in not knowing what to expect, and he's just got, like, this weird... He, he chose to do this, like, very high-pitched, you know, country accent that is, like, bizarre and could have been, like, a horrible choice. Like, it could have been, like, when Jared Leto did Chapter 27 or whatever it was, and he did that weird little voice, and it was... Everyone was just, like, laughing. It's, like, bad. But this time, it was really good. It was a great choice. He went with it the whole movie didn't hurt his performance at all. It just made me respect him even more. Um, and I think that the story, I don't know, there was like this cool idea, not cool idea, that sounds bad to say it's cool, but this idea in the film, this theme about the violence of the war sort of seeping into everyday lives back home and how that affects, you know, rural America. And I thought that was so interesting and so true that I really, really liked that aspect of the movie too. So just all around 
thought it was a great film. Um, I think for a while it probably would have been even higher on my list, but I highly recommend. Really interesting story. That's great. Palmer, did you see it? I have not. I was going to, and then somebody that I follow on Twitter was watching it one day, and I was seeing their tweets, and it was not complimentary, <laughs> and I think it was just more to, I think it was more to do with the subject matter and stuff that happened in the movie, um, not necessarily, say, the performance or writing of the movie. It was just too much of a heavy subject matter for them, so it, I ended up skipping it. Yeah, it does have some really dark stuff that happens in the movie, for sure. So I can see but that. Yes, very. Yeah, I, it was on. It was in my top ten for a good chunk of time. Uh, I very much, I very much enjoyed it. I like what you what you had to say about the violence of the war seeping into rural America, which already can be a violent, which already can be a violent place. Yeah. Um, and so I wait, but it, but it's set against this like veneer of peacefulness and small town folksy whimsy but this um it's very southern gothic the underlying evil within people um and the the rural area kind of playing the like the seedy ruralness um kind of playing off of that i really liked it i thought tom holland's performance was very good um pattinson he made a choice and he stuck with it (laughs) and i appreciate that uh and i did i did like it i um but sometimes when he makes acting choices, I go, huh, that's, you made a choice, didn't you? And it always, <laughs> like, brings me out of the movie as opposed to, like, um, it, like it takes me a second to get used to it. And then you get back in. Um, so he did it in, well, basically every movie he's ever done, he makes that choice. Um, <laughs> it's true. And so since Harry Potter, I'm like, that's a choice that you made. Okay, great. All right, we're doing it. Um, but I very much, I very much liked it, and I've thought about pushing it back into my top ten almost all the time. The only thing that really made me stop me from doing it is that I will never ever watch it again. And yeah, uh, <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah, I will, yeah, I will never ever watch that movie again. And sometimes this is just your favorites of the year, right? It's yeah, not the, we've said before. It's yeah. like these are the ones that are. Um, they don't have to be the best movies in the world. They just have to be your favorites. And so, um, and I will not revisit it. So I'm not, so, so it made it, so it's number 14 out of how many movies I, I saw this year. Can um, I, can I ask really quick is the reason is what pushes it over the edge for you? Because it almost did for me. Is it that Tom Holland's characters, I don't know, like fatalistic, I don't know. Like he's so drawn towards violence and it's repeating, a really negative pattern of his father. That idea is so dark and so like, I don't know, cynical and sad that that aspect of it is almost what made it like too much for me. Cause it's like, you kind of want, I don't know, like someone in this landscape to break that cycle, but nobody does. And especially his character, you're so empathetic towards him. And he, he also cannot break away from that. And it's like, yikes. Yeah, there's really only one nice person in this whole story, maybe two or three, and good things don't happen. Yeah, and that's and true. yeah, which which I find compelling storytelling, but I just don't want to. It was just a tough year, and so yeah. I think watching a tough movie within a tough year can also be um, sometimes it's just a little much. Yeah, you're like, oh, the world's much. a terrible place. That's great. I uh, I'm gonna watch Disney now. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. I totally get it. Palate cleanser, palate cleanser, palate cleanser. Like, oh, look, this like movie's watching... just about ice cream and how great it is. Let's watch that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, wait, I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, kind of like watching the movie Songbird, a movie about a pandemic and people being quarantined while you're in quarantine. Yep. Yep. No, Didn't watch Songbird. Didn't watch it. Um, it was good. Cool. Okay, so that was your number six, right? Mm-hmm. That was your number six, Lisa? Okay, Palmer, your number six. My number six is a documentary. It, at times, feels like a faux documentary, but uh, the more I've kind of uh, looked at it, it is a good documentary, but it might have some sort of staging, and it's called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. For anyone who doesn't remember or doesn't follow the world of wrestling, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, uh, David Arquette did a movie called Ready to Rumble with a bunch of wrestlers. And the company that the movie was about brought him in to actually be a wrestler, which he didn't really want to do. And they gave him a championship, and he is hated in the wrestling community because of it. Wow. This is him years later actually going through the steps of learning to be a wrestler he's always been a fan of wrestling he even feels like him having the championship at the time was a slap in the face because he knew nothing about how to do anything so he's going like he goes to a school he learns how to he learns how to do the moves correctly and safely he goes down to mexico to kind of get some experience and he goes to uh, and then he does like little shows, little independent shows, and he almost dies. Wow. Like straight up, like he has a wrestling match where he loses uh, buckets of blood that they have to bring him to the emergency room. It actually has a very small cameo by Luke Perry because they were really close friends. And on the wrestling show, Luke Perry's son was also on that show. So Luke Perry brings him to the emergency room. It is very well done and very compelling that this guy who's now, you know, in his middle-aged years, who's really past his athletic prime, is going out to do this because he wants to prove to himself that he can. And he does a good job of it. Hmm. That sounds great. I It's yeah. probably not something that I will ever watch, but I'm glad that you Yeah, I doubt it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I everything I know about the wrestling is from the movie The Wrestler, <laughs> but um, yeah, that sounds. I mean, that's unfair when that happens when somebody does the research too, you know. And it's not really like a choice he yeah. made; it's like a job. Right. Um, and for him to get so much heat for it, that is unfortunate, but also understandable on the wrestler side too, because they're immersed in that world and they train, and you know, to just give it to someone that just got here. Yeah, that seems messed up. Uh, but yeah, that does sound like an interesting documentary. I'm probably not a big enough wrestling fan to watch it, but yeah. I appreciate you know everything you said. Any- that it sounds like it's really interesting, though. Yeah, anyone that likes wrestling or was watching wrestling during the Monday Night Wars, definitely give it a spin. It is at times over the top, but I really enjoyed it. Nice. Cool, cool. I'm glad you liked it. Um, my number six is Pixar's Soul, which you could find on Disney Plus. Thought it was a, um, it is definitely an a, 
a movie for adults that kids will tolerate being on in the same room. Uh, I think that Pixar has weirdly moved beyond movies for children with this movie. And they've just like, this movie's for adults and uh, all the kids can be quiet for two hours. Okay, here we go. Um, and so this was directed, written and directed by Pete Docter, who also did Wally and um, Inside Out. Every and, existential... And- and up, yeah, the the ones that are really like, oh, I need to like think about like, I need to think about my life and choices and like all these things as opposed to like the toys that come alive. <laughs> you know, it's like this one, it's like so vastly different from Pete Doctor's movies are so vastly different from the other Pixar movies. Um, thought it, it was really creative uh, in its approach to the afterlife. I loved, um, I loved the title. In that it's about the guy's soul, but it's also about music, which, um, you know, and, and um, you know, like, um, you know, like feeling the mood of the music and being in the way that they tie what a soul is to being in the zone and all that stuff. They have an entire category of vi- visual effects artists that was just sweaters in this movie. Like, <laughs> like the detail wow. of the sweaters and make like, which is just incre- the the what they did with um lighting from a visual uh, visual perspective like natural light in the apartments and like i paused at one point went to the kitchen came back and i was like did you change the movie and she was like no and i was like that's not real like what we're looking at is like it, it was just uh, how far technology has come is unbelievable but um i say as an old man but uh i found the story very moving i found it I would it was I put it in like the category of Fantasia where like oh this is like kids will enjoy classical music with dinosaurs and uh yeah kids will enjoy just that one and then maybe none other um yeah but I I loved it I found it I found it I found all parts of it excellent um and I think that the only downside is that it's it's like the first 10 minutes of up but a whole movie and I don't know if uh, like emotionally and I don't know if a I don't know if that's for a, chi- for a five year old yeah um, this movie is on my list as well I agree with everything you said I thought I didn't even think about it not really being for children though I wonder you know how do parents that have kids like how do they feel about this movie showing it to their kids like you know, how do their kids react to it? I, I hadn't even thought of that, but I think you're right. It does feel like Pixar is like, okay, we're going to tell really dark existential uh, stories from now on. Um, but I loved it. And uh, I have seen some criticisms. I'm going to tread lightly here because I, I don't think I'm like the best person to speak on this. But I've seen some criticisms that it did not like really dive into the black experience but I guess my answer to that would be it's Pixar and I don't think they're going to dive into anyone's experience that deep. They're going to try to make a movie that everyone can relate to. And I don't think that it necessarily means that they weren't considerate. It just more, they, they generalized it so that everyone can be like, Oh, I understand how this character feels. Um, and I also think, you know, in the same way with like Coco, it is about, you know, a Mexican family, but literally anybody with a family is like, I know how that feels to lose a loved one. And I know Mm -hmm. these emotions are familiar. They don't dive deep into what it's like to be a Latinx family, 
but they are Latinx. And so, like, I think there's a difference between diving really deep into someone's experience and then, you know, just telling a story using that character um, and that character happening to have that background. I think that's what they did with Soul. Um, and I think of it as a positive thing. But like I said, I'm not the best person to speak on that. So I don't want to say, like, you're all wrong because I don't think that they're necessarily wrong. But I guess I think it, it didn't it wasn't difficult for me to watch or it wasn't something that would prevent me from watching it. It, it didn't feel like offensive or, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I, anyway. And I've seen uh, both. Yeah. I've seen a lot of sides of, I've seen all makes and models and shapes and colors and like every, like talk about soul and everybody like from all camps seems to be, um, um, from what I've seen, there's a lot of, Oh, well, they did it really, they did a lot of it really well. And some people saying like, well, it's also made pre-BLM, like, over That's the true. Like, the, these movies take years and years and years to make. And so people record their dialogue like two years in advance. And so, like, so um, I think we're, we're looking at it at a post, like, post-March lens without them having the, you know, without them having the... Um, that kind of foresight within the film at the same time, which doesn't always make for a great excuse. But in case of this one, there's not, I didn't find anything uh, overtly offensive in your way that it, it's, it's generic. And maybe that's part of the criticism is that it's generic and some people want less, less generic. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, I can see the criticism because it's true that the, Issues and complexity of race are not tackled in this movie. That's true. Um, in a way that maybe they even are a little bit better in, uh, in uh, what's it called? The, uh, the frog prince or the prince? princess of the frog. Princess of the frog. Yeah. Sorry. I could not remember the name, but like that movie, I think maybe tackles it a little bit better. That's not the story that this was trying to tell. I think, uh, but you're right. It, it does make you wonder how different it would be in a post BLM world. So I hadn't thought of it that way, and I think that's interesting. I mean, I mean, the other thing I would I would caution people who, and I'm not again, I won't say that they're wrong, but I would caution them in saying that I think they would get more flack if they tried to tackle some of that, and people were like, "Well, you didn't do it, you didn't do it enough, right?" Like, or from the wrong lens. Not everyone's experience is is the same. Yeah. Or even like, so, uh, unless it's, you know, black people telling that story, I just think it's kind of dicey to be like, okay, I'm going to, as a white person, make a movie about Black Lives Matter. It's like, ugh. yeah, it's exactly. probably better yeah, not also, to do that. Also that's, that. <laughs> that's also, yeah, I don't know if that, I don't know if that subject matter would be good in an animated movie. Like Princess and the Frog was good and it felt organic in the time frame that it was that the movie was being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was a little quote-unquote safer, which I feel like happens yeah. a lot with, with topics like that. They're like, well, if it's 200 years ago, right. it's not hard for us to tackle. Uh, but right. uh, not that it was 200, that like being, 100, but yeah. That being said, I did watch this movie, and surprise, surprise, I thought it was just, I thought it was very lacking in a lot of areas. I absolutely love the 
the uh, jazz accompaniment by John Batiste. The music is really good in this movie. But other than that, I find the movie to just be like a very basic retread of a story. And it doesn't, for me, it lacks something and it might actually be sold. You just wanted to line up your shot and 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 <laughs> take that like and throw that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I considering it's my six and it's somewhere on Lisa's list. We're going to say we both disagree with you, but it's our oh, list yeah. and not uh, yours. And you can like what you correct. like. Correct. And yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. It was totally serviceable. And while I'm not the biggest fan of Pixar in general, I will say that I think. Like, Up, I think, had a little bit more emotion to it for me than Soul did. Yeah, I think Inside Out had more emotion for me than than Soul, but that doesn't mean that I didn't like it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all good. Uh, Lisa, you're number five. My number five is The Invisible Man. Um, nice. Nice. <laughs> all right. Tell us about it. Yeah, I... Um, I didn't expect so there's a lot of movies that try to tackle what you kind of already talked about either domestic violence uh coercion you know or coercive control as it's sometimes called and how uh, in a lot of movies it's like very obvious like the you know abuser is like slapping somebody around and people are like you gotta leave Annie and she's like I can't the kids you know it's like very surface level not diving into anybody's uh mental state at all and so people criticize a lot of times i think that criticism goes over into real life look well why don't you leave this movie kind of answers why people don't leave and uh to get like just a tad serious for a second when people leave a situation like this is when they're actually at the highest risk of being harmed um because that's when the person that's trying to control them realizes that they're quote unquote, losing control and they exert even more control. So I think for her, she was in this bad relationship with this guy that scared her and she scares her so much that she has to escape in the middle of the night, essentially to get away from him. And then she spends the rest of the movie just terrified. And I think it's sort of in the movie, it's because he's got an invisible suit, but I think also psychologically, um, he's been inside of her head. He was controlling every move she made on a psychological level. So there's like two levels of terror in the film. And I think it's actually pretty realistic, you know? Um, and just from, you know, knowing people that have been in that situation and things like that. Uh, and I think that's really cool that a, a big Hollywood movie, I guess it's still, you know, it's kind of still an independent film, but for a big film to tackle something that serious and so accurately is really cool. And then just visually, I thought the movie was stunning. I mean, that opening scene where, you know, they're asleep in that be um, bed with the glass wall and like, you know, the ocean and like, I don't know, the, the palette, the color palette of the movie, everything about it. And you said already, there are so many times where I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> and that is really refreshing in a movie like this because I think it's tempting to go back to a lot of like jump scare cliches and this movie doesn't do that. At, at first I had concerns about this suit. It sounded silly to me. But then in the context of the film, they do a really good job of like explaining it. And then I think also because the main character is so rich and so powerful, um, he's probably the only one in a position to do something like this. 
Um, and I think that adds a level of realism too. It's almost like, what if Batman were insane and, and instead of, you know, suiting up and saving people, he tormented someone like his, you know, his, uh, his resources are endless. So, um, I just, I don't know, just everything about it. And I know the director also did the movie Upgrade, and that was kind of when he started to really be noticed. And I think he used a lot of sort of weird camera tricky things with the camera in this one that I also thought was looked really cool. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. seen Upgrade, but I want to see that. And so, yeah, for all those reasons, it is my number five. Cool. Very Excellent. nice. Very nice. Palmer, your number five. My number five is another new entry. I just saw this this week. And to say that this movie jumps the shark would be the biggest understatement I've made in this podcast, because this jumps clear out of the solar system. It is called Shadow in the Cloud, starring Chloe Mortez Grace as a World War II army personnel who gets herself onto a cargo flying for, flying fortress uh, under the under the assignment of delivering classified documents to someone. She, no one knows her backstory. She is surrounded by, quite honestly, probably the worst group of male characters I've seen in a movie this year. Like, I hated them so much. And then there's the, aside from having to worry about, you know, the the Japanese or the Germans in the sky, there's these random flying demons and gremlins that show up. There's also, like, what she is really carrying in the sack, what her backstory is. There's a lot of questions that go unanswered, and at the same time, they dive deep into her story. And it's just so utterly over the top that I loved it so much. It has a synth 80s soundtrack. It just... It is a weird and wild ride. Like, if you like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, or there was that there was that really schlocky movie um, about Nazis on the moon that everyone seems to love. Nazis on the moon. Oh, is that what it's called? No, it was another no. one. No, it's another <laughs> one. It's like Iron something, or but it's definitely in that vein. Like, it could be schlocky, but, but her acting is like, if you put say Tom Hanks in a schlocky movie he's going to act the hell out of it and she does and I think she could single handedly save the movie because it could be over the top if if not for her and also for a movie that I heard nothing about it had surprisingly decent effects nice nice I saw. I watched the trailer when you told me you were watching this movie and I was yep. like this movie looks so absurd I can't wait to watch it and it yeah, comes it in is. at like a, like 123 minutes like it's bare or it's like an hour and 23 it's like barely a yep. movie um, nice. yeah it, 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 it looked really it looked really fun I like Chloe Grace Mortez she's a she's a good actress mm-hmm. um, and it just looked total totally bonkers so I'm I'm glad that you're good I'm just confused that jumping the shark is usually a bad thing that's what I was gonna so say so <laughs> I'm confused by that well not not really. It comes from the episode of Happy Days where Fonzie literally jumps a shark. Right. That but was that was and that was the decline of the show. That was the point of the point of that phrase is that Happy Days couldn't recover from the absurdity of that moment and thus failed 
as a show towards the end of its tenure on TV. Right. Luckily, this doesn't have a sequel, so it doesn't have to worry about recovering from the absurdity of this. That's true. Okay. That's so weird. Okay. Until no, the sequel. <laughs> my number five is I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, uh, well, I should have put really this on my have. list. I feel so <laughs> dumb now. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you have a cat that loves you, Tim. You know, he's right in front of me. He's over there. Hey, buddy. What you up to? Nothing? Okay, great. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of anything. The uh, Charlie Kaufman um, movie on Netflix, which is about a uh, uh, girlfriend and a boyfriend who are driving up in um, uh, rural um, middle America to go meet his parents for the first time. And it's some trippy nonsense about some time stuff and where things end and begin in the matter of relationships and blah, blah, blah. As with all of Kaufman's films, either you like it or you don't like it, mm-hmm. or like it's your thing or not your thing, and they are my thing. Um, they're my jam. They're very odd. There's no concrete answers, um, but I, I, but you just kind of are immersed in a abstract reality, and and I really enjoyed it. And I like movies that don't offer definitive answers all the time because it gives you something to talk about. It gives you, there's a conversation, um, there's a conversation to be had and I can't really say much more about it because it's, it's either you've seen it or you haven't. And like, there's no real way to talk about it without spoiling it. Right. I think, um, um, but I, I think that, um, I think that everybody in it does a, everybody in it does a stellar job of making you care about like, so Jesse Buckley is a like awesome. I had never seen her in anything before, but I thought she was awesome. Jesse Plemons is, um, um, he's like, I want to call He's not discount Matt Damon, but I just think, they I think a that lot too. Like, I think that too. Every like, time I see him, <laughs> it's, it's, um, but he's so good. David Thewis, Tony Collette, and they just like, bring the absurdity and this other uh, also level of like um there's this gothic um undertone to the whole thing Mm -hmm. but um yeah i just uh yeah i can't really talk about it just kind of like the movie is hard to describe itself it's it's hard to talk about it so lisa you have seen this yeah i will say that maybe this is a little like it's not like devil all the time in the was for you and that I'll never see it again. But I will say that after I watched this movie, I was like, I'm going to die someday. I'm going to watch my parents die. And then I'm going to die. Like it was like that kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's definitely an, existen- wow. it's an existential crisis. It's oh, an existential yeah. crisis It's like, movie. and what will the sum of my life be? Like, it's like very dark, but it's so well done. And I mean, I think if you like stuff like the eternal sunshine of a spotless mind, which I think can also be kind of polarizing, um, if that's the kind of thing you're into, then you'll like this. But if not, then you won't. And like, I did have a friend that watched it and she was like live stream commenting, like what was going on and like, Oh, this movie's so silly and I have no idea what's happening and none of it makes any sense. And I just casually was like, not, tr- not trying, not trying not to be that guy. I just went, Hey, if you have questions, like I can answer them, but I'm not forcing you to ask me them. Like if you genuinely want to know. And then she did like message me and we chatted about it. 
a little bit, but I didn't want to come off as like, hey, if you don't know what's going on, like, I'm such an intellectual, like, I've got this, like, I've figured it out. But it is kind you of You also don't want to be like, movies. maybe you should stop tweeting and put the phone down yeah. and maybe you'll know what's going on. <laughs> well, like. yeah, it's it's like, it's one of those movies that, like, you do kind of have to dissect it a little bit and that's part of watching it. Um, but it's always difficult to navigate how to say that without sounding like, well, you really have to dissect it, you know, so... Yeah, I think what you said is so true. Like, either you like this kind of stuff or you don't. And if you don't, I get it. But if you do, this is a really good one. Yep. Yeah, if you like to dissect film, if you like (laughs) to apply theory and um, philosophy and you want to talk about the meaning of existence and everything like that, you want to talk about, like, the symbolism of, like, constantly driving on a one lane on a one lane road in a snowstorm and like yeah like those then then this is the movie for you if you don't like any of those things like palmer hates all of those things then um then this is not this is not the movie for you yeah if you want popcorn and explosions talk to palmer (laughs) this uh you are correct i have not seen this and based on your uh no, you Based would hate on your me. synopsis of it, I would absolutely probably dislike it. Oh, there's no way that you would like this movie. I, at, at this point, I know you too well. Don't watch it. You will hate it. And it's hard to even claim that you, quote unquote, enjoyed it because it's yep. <laughs> it's it's a rough that's right. watch. But that's, but that's also what's weirdly enjoyable yeah, It was something that it. happened to like, you. Yeah. It's sometimes, yeah. you know, you don't, not all art has to be beautiful, right? If that's the way that it goes, like it, you just have to have. If you have an emotional connection to it, then it can be then it can be art. But that emotion doesn't have to be joy. Um, mm-hmm. and so I um, and so yeah, I really liked. It. I'm thinking of ending things. Looking looking at you, childhood scarring American tale. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, that movie's rough. Think, yes. It's the yeah. one kids uh, movie but, that's like, hey, America isn't that great. How about that? Well, <laughs> it's, it's like it's. It's Don Blue. Yeah, it's like, like America's I, terrible to immigrants. Let's start with that. <laughs> it's like, it's a rough watch. Don Bluth was Pixar before Pixar. Pretty much. It's true. It's true, but he doesn't sugarcoat anything. It was just terrible. <laughs> yeah. He maybe should have sometimes, but mm-hmm. that's why I liked him so much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lisa, you're number four. My number four is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Nice. I had this nice. kind of high up there. I think definitely influenced by current events but also this is one of those movies that like it's it's kind of like the social network in that like there's a lot of talking there a lot of it's in a courtroom and it's a movie that's still so exciting and fun to watch despite that it almost fools you into being like maybe i'm smarter than i thought because i can pay attention and (laughs) (laughs) and enjoy this film um that's mostly talking in a courtroom uh but it, it, it's just that good. I mean, the dialogue is great and the acting is great. And um, it's a compelling story that, like you've already said, I didn't know a whole lot about, but doesn't shock me. Um, you know, it's a movie that kind of uh, suggests the idea that once you put a label on somebody, you can kind of do whatever you want to them. Um, and that's the danger of labeling people in certain scenarios you know if you say that people are agitators then you have permission to prosecute them um and so that's what they're fighting against like the whole movie and it's just really interesting how they get there and uh yeah it's it's compelling so it was pretty high up on my list excellent 
Excellent. Palmer, would you, do you want to add anything? No, I think I said all I, all I could earlier. <laughs> we all had cool. it on our list, so we all liked Indeed. it. <laughs> yeah, covered. Uh, Palmer, you're number four. My number four is a Russell Crowe movie where he plays a menacing truck driver who decides to terrorize a woman who cuts him off in traffic because that's a totally sane thing to do. And it is called Unhinged. Look, this movie, again, kind of like my last entry, could be could be a little too over the top at times and could be considered like like characteristic but Russell Crowe does such a good job at playing a crazy person that he makes this movie tense and interesting and very scary and who would have thought Russell Crowe would be really good at playing a complete psycho well he has punched people on a boat before <laughs> and, <laughs> and on the and road thrown phones. <laughs> uh, so. yeah but I love Russell I love Russell Crowe what a guy uh, but yeah so it kind of reminded me of that uh, that horror movie Joyride back in the day oh yeah yeah with Paul with Paul Walker uh-huh. um, but it felt a little bit more real like, which is which a is testament hard to, to say. Russell Crowe's acting, I guess. Uh, kind of, but I mean, it's a lot like say it's almost a lot like say Invisible Man, where there are times that you could be like, would he have like that much ability to do this? And the answer is kind of yeah. There are there are people like this out there. Yeah, don't underestimate he, people that yeah, are obsessive. That <laughs> yeah yeah, and like. It's not a it's not a twist in the movie because it's literally the first scene. The first scene you do is see him go into his home and kill his family. So he really has nothing to lose. Like he's on a he's on a almost like su- uh, suicide by cop kind of trajectory. So you know, and it's 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 weird and it is, it was done very well. Cool. Cool. I might watch that one day. Yeah. Uh, my number four is a documentary. It's called City Hall. It hmm. was on. It was on PBS. It is a four and a half hour documentary about Boston City Hall. Wow. And it is a. It's no. It is in the trade. Do you want to talk about like being sounding like that guy? Um, in <laughs> as a documentary, it is called Cinema Verate, which is um, like truth like a truth film and so the idea is that the it's um the camera only captures what you see there's no interviews there's no narration mm. it's just footage so it's like literally being on a fly on the wall so it's like as close to the truth of being there as you can possibly get uh, as a film and so it just goes through several months of city hall and it just it goes from department to department to department and you see what everybody's everyday existence is and what it takes to run a city interesting i would love to see that yeah it was it was excellent i was like i don't know if i want to give like four hours over to to a documentary and i was 20 minutes in i was like i can't wait to see what happens and there's no plot or anything it's just footage um you could have done it Anywhere at any city hall, I mean, like Boston's my Boston was my capital. I grew up in Massachusetts, so like I like I have a personal connection to everybody being like everyone ha- walking around with a Dunkin' Donuts cup, and like everyone's <laughs> Boston accents are elevated to eleven, even though that's just how they talk normally. It's not anybody trying to do an accent, but um, 
but I've I really enjoyed it. There were because I I mean I'm a teacher, so like I went from school back into school, and I'm supposed to prepare people for the real world. And so, but I'm like I don't know what people do at City Hall. Like I don't know what your <laughs> job is. Like what do you do all day? Like I don't know what you do at your desk. And so, and it kind of answers those questions. Like I like what does the Department of Transportation do? And but it and it just shows you daily what it does, and it was really cool. I, I loved it. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I wrote it down. Nice. Nice. I, I'll just watch the movie City Hall with Al Pacino. It is not the same, I promise you, but that would be a good movie huh. to watch. Go for it. Um, okay, so number three, Lisa. <sighs> okay, um, full disclosure, I just switched a couple movies. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I did, I did that too this three. whole time. <laughs> yeah, is Soul. Um, I really enjoyed this movie i think that some of it is personal because i think uh the narrative that um your life and fulfillment is not about achieving a certain level of success resonates a crazy amount with me it's something that i feel like i went through a few years ago where i had you know not to get too into it but like i had a job it wasn't going well and i had to sit back and think okay do i want to keep trying at this or do I need to find fulfillment elsewhere? Like, is it possible that maybe my career path is not where I'm going to get my fulfillment from, which is not necessarily the same message in this movie, but it's similar in that when you really love something, the enjoyment of it and being the ability to do it should be fulfilling enough. You don't have to necessarily become super famous um, and you don't have to achieve a level of success that, you know, society agrees with is success. And I think that that is so true. And I think it's almost downright painful at times in the movie when you're watching this character watch his own life and like trying to replay all these moments that he essentially wasted because they don't lead up to success. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a really hard lesson that I think a lot of us learn. And it's also, I think, a commentary on the way we kind of minimize teachers and like how important it is that they have such a big impact on the lives of children and how, you know, a lot of people remember some of their favorite teachers for the rest of their life. They, you know, uh, inspire them to do great things that has real value. Inspiring someone else has value. So even if it doesn't directly lead to your success, that should still matter. And so just all those things, I mean, it just really resonated a lot with me, like in the way that I think it's a wonderful life resonates with some people. Like that's how I kind of felt watching soul. And so I know like some people were even saying things like, oh, I guess we should just settle for, you know, not getting everything that we're due. And it's like, I don't think that's what the movie was trying to say because he, his life wasn't bad. He was doing well. He had a steady job. He was making enough, but he was holding his own life back until he got this extra step. And it was realizing, hey, what if I just enjoy having a full-time job and benefits? There's no crime in that, (laughs) which is something that I think, especially when you're young, you have a really hard time accepting. Yeah, and you you said something uh, that somebody else had said that it was like, oh, like we should just settle and not get what we're due. But the idea of thinking you're due anything right. is maybe part of the problem that needs to be confronted and what the movie is trying to confront. Like, like what do you think is owed to you and why do you believe that's owed to you and for what purpose and like all that stuff as opposed to making your making your own path as opposed to 
feeling like somebody owes you something. Yeah, because he kind of, even in the movie, minimizes the sacrifices that his mother made so that her husband could could have that kind of lifestyle. And she just said, you know, it's really hard and you give up a lot and I don't want that for you. I would love for you to have a family, for you to find fulfillment and not wait your whole life for it, I think is what her message was. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I think too that, um, especially in the music industry, because I mean, I hate to say it, but there's like a hundred people out there, a hundred million, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there that are just as talented as like, you know, people that win Grammys. And mm-hmm. that's right. And they're, if you're not Taylor Swift, <laughs> you don't win. they're everywhere. You could just go to like a dive bar and see live music and hear someone that's just as talented. So it, the people at the very top are not necessarily the most talented. A lot of it has to do with luck and being in the right place and having the right platform. So, you know, yeah, I think the character is clearly talented enough to be in a band and they even make that point, but maybe that's not what he needs to feel fulfilled, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And you, um, you know, pinned on something too, that the, like, you know, the people who are the most famous aren't necessarily the most talented and, um, to peel back um, my own layer, I guess so I teach high school seniors. So when we do college essay time, you know, I tell them before they write their essay, I said, look, it's all very well. Nice of you that you all have 4.0 GPAs and you're taking three APs and you're captain of the soccer team and you're on the swim team. And you also play softball or baseball and you do community service. And like, that's all great stuff. So does everybody else applying to that school. Yeah. Every <laughs> single true. other person does all the things that you just did. And you know what? They might, their grades might actually be a little bit better. They might be a better soccer captain than you. They might do this a little bit better. And so all of that stuff that you says that you say and want to write about as being successful, a lot of other people are successful that way too. So the essay is designed to be like, what is it about you? You personally, not the things you do. But you, who you are in your soul, essentially, like that they like that makes you stand out. And so it takes a lot of actual concentration and like soul searching to write a really good college essay, to write a really good college essay. Um, And uh, and this movie, in in a weird way, hints at like that that kind of process. Like, what do you what are you measuring? Like the hall of trophies or whatever that, right, you know, that yeah. the hall of history, like that, like, what are you, what are you measuring up against? And you will always fall short in comparing yourself to other things and not being, and not seeing the value in, in your everyday. So great choice. Soul was my number one, or uh, it was like my number three for, um, basically until today when I did some rearranging. So, um, so I'm with you. It being high on the list. <laughs> yeah. Palmer, your yes. your number three, please. My number three is starring Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, and it has an actress that I really like, Samara Weaving, and it is called Guns Akimbo. <gasps> oh, I forgot that came out this year. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> oh my god! Again, I mean, it's it's been a theme for the last couple of movies. This is about as over the top as it as it gets. I mean, even this the title. A, yeah, yeah. This is a world in which an ordinary guy finds himself forced to fight a gladiator-like battle for a dark website that streams violence for viewers. I mean, it sounds it sounds nutty. It's got John Wick level 
action where once it kind of starts, it doesn't really ever let up. And it's... I don't know. There's, there's not much else I can say about it except, like, the action is what really gets this movie to where it is because it's just grab you by the throat, doesn't let go for an hour and a half, and it has Samara Weaving, who's also a great actress. That was she was and ready or not, right? She yep, she was ready or she not. Is really she was really good. In the babysitter. Like yeah. So it's yeah. Right, great choice. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um. All right. My number three is Sound of Metal, which is uh, which is on Amazon Amazon Prime. Uh, it came out in 2019 at the at a film festival. Um, but uh, it wasn't released on streaming services until 2020, so I'm counting it there you go. as 2020 because, yeah, we couldn't get to film festivals, could we? No. Um, Sound of Metal is about a metal drummer played by Riz Ahmed uh, who loses his hearing uh, quite steadily. And so it's about his journey facing his deafness his, and his rejection of that um and the denial and the anger and the sorrow that goes along that, that goes along for his journey and then um about like understanding the meaning of contemplation and silence and stillness and i just thought it was not anything that i was expecting i was really thinking like oh this is going to be a movie about a metal drummer who's losing his hearing but it was really more about like the process of healing and and what that means physically and spiritually and and emotionally and i freaking loved it it was so good and riz ahmed was incredible so i recommend it to anybody that wants a good movie just like flat out i want to see a good movie sound of metal i've heard a lot of people say that especially watching that under the context of this year that a lot of people have felt closer to that subject matter of like you know reconciling with a big life change because a lot of people have mm -hmm. lost jobs or loved ones and so it's almost like more people at the same time can relate to like one character's experience than in any other year that's right yeah uh, how we re respond to change tells us a lot about who we are as people because we assume that we think we know how we respond to things but we don't until things happen yeah um and so, and to, to watch his journey is, uh, is pretty extraordinary. So it's a great connection. Um, so you had heard about it. Palmer, did you see this sound of metal? No, would recommend. No. So good. Okay. All right. Uh, Lisa, number two. These last two are tough. Um, I just saw this movie. It's called Possessor. It's a David Cronenberg film. Uh, so this, or not David, Brandon, sorry, Brandon Cronenberg. Sorry, Brandon. Yes. <laughs> uh, David Cronenberg's son, Brandon directed this movie. Um, I almost saw it in theaters back when I saw Videodrome for the first time at a drive-in and, uh, my husband's a Cronenberg fan. So he's kind of been showing me a lot of those movies lately. Um, and yeah, they're insanely weird and surreal, but at the same time, are they anymore? Like, I feel like he influenced so many filmmakers now that would have never dared to do some of that stuff, um, but is now almost become our everyday. Um, it's still weird. I think if you suggest some of those movies to people, they would be like, this is really weird. I didn't know it was happening. But now Possessor um, is more a, of a more subdued surrealness. Um, I guess Brandon is more straightforward. He's not quite as fantastical 
It's still a wacky plot, though, because essentially the plot is that there's a company that has developed technology where you can dive into someone's body and possess them. And so what they were doing is uh, committing, you know, these hit jobs by having somebody remotely tap into someone else's brain and then have them kill somebody and then they take all the blame for it. And nobody knows like what actually happened. Um, and the main character is the lady that was in that Mandy movie with, um, Nicolas Cage. I can't remember her name right now, but, um, Andrea Risborough. That sounds right. Um, that does sound like a name. <laughs> she was in oblivion. Yeah. She was in oblivion and Birdman. Yes, and yes, Mandy. yes, yes. Yep. And she's so good in this. And I like the idea that, you know, uh, that it's a a woman that looks she's like a middle-aged mom and so just like somebody would never expect to be the kind of person that could do this or maybe not typically um there's a couple twists and turns in the film too and i didn't well i started to see them coming and then after the fact i went back and thought about the whole plot again and i was like yeah i see how that happened kind of thing i won't say too much but it's science, it's sci-fi, it's horror, it's a thriller. It's it's just good. I, I thought it was really well done. And I don't know if I said this part too, but it's like they the when she possesses someone, she does things a few days in advance so that when this person commits an act of murder or whatever, everyone's kind of like, well, they were acting weird. They said this and they did that. And so like she's able to like completely cover the tracks of whatever she did. Um, but does I guess the without giving it away, just like what does diving into somebody and doing that, what does that do to you is kind of what the movie's about. But highly recommend it. It's so good. I loved it. But again, if you don't like weird stuff like that, you probably won't like it. I added it to my list. Good. Sounds awesome. Can't wait to watch. Nice. Um, Palmer, your number two. My number two is a movie that made me very, very angry because it is based <laughs> on a true story. And I thought, Really, like, how could the government or any sort of or any sort of functioning body do this to its people and citizens? And we've already talked about it. It is the trial of the Chicago Seven. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's just the entire movie. I got so angry about how they kept stacking everything against these people for no other reason than just because they had been labeled agitators and they could. Yeah. Because they were trying to make society better. Yeah, right on. Um, but I think one of the things we what hasn't been discussed yet, aside from it being such a great, uh, perfectly written movie, is Frank Langella is... is oh, he is the guy and... you love to hate. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He is really good, and even uh, Michael Keaton has a surprising sort of cameo in this movie. Like it, it was just phenomenal. I liked it from start to finish. It was. I figured it was going to be high up there for me when I initially heard about it because it's Aaron Sorkin. I absolutely adore Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, his directing is fine. I don't think it takes away from the movie, but uh, it is just a very good movie, and everyone should watch it. Good. Great choice. Um, my number two uh, does not strictly fall exactly as a film in the way that these other ones are, but um, my number two is Hamilton, um, which was filmed uh, a number of years ago um, and edited together and released uh, on Disney Plus earlier this year. 
I've seen Hamilton uh, live twice already, so it was like the third time that I had seen it already by the time that um, I watched it at home. I I put it as my number two, not because I would say that it's a it's a magical film. Like, wow, I can't believe they edited that together so well, which they did. Um, it's a really well they th- filmed it three times, I think, and then they edited it together from three different performances. Um, so I think it's great, but Hamilton itself is is incredibly good. Um, so story is moving, music is excellent, um, superb cast, good production design, excellent lighting. So I. Um, so I, I give it to I give it to Hamilton because it's Hamilton and I love Hamilton and it's on film so it counts the end. Um, yeah, uh, that's it. Either of you watch Hamilton, Palmer? We saw it live together, so I know you've seen it. Yes, and I saw this. Okay. Uh, it was it was good. I honestly think it's a little overhyped. I think Jonathan Groff is excellent. I I really love the King in this. But overall, at times for me, it's a little long, and there are characters that I just feel are superfluous. Yeah, well, well, it is his life story, so some some people you just can't cut. Um, but I, I do I, I do know what you mean. Um, I mean, it's quote unquote bait like his life story. There's like quite a lot changed and um, people missing. I don't walk yeah. out of Hamilton going, "Wow, I can't believe I." I, le- I know the whole truth about <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. Because yeah, he didn't actually rap. Yeah. No, oh, did yeah. Not. Didn't rap. Yeah. That's true. No, he did not. Um, but it is very good. Yeah. I yeah. When they announced that they were going to release this on Disney+, Plus, I was like, I can finally see it. Because, <laughs> I mean, at least here in Texas, like, I think it's this way everywhere. But it was like a lottery... You know, people go, oh, today I can have the possibility of buying tickets next year. I had one friend that bought a pass uh, for the whole year just so she could obtain those tickets. Like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I had almost I had almost did that when it was up here. Yeah. But they ended up getting it for me as a birthday present. Aww. Well, I live streamed, watch this kind of, like me and my friends Samantha and Sarah got in a little chat and we all just agreed to watch it together. And so we watched it and we kind of, we barely talked to each other though. Cause you have to like pay so much attention to what's going on that like, it was almost pointless, but we knew in spirit, we were all watching together. Um, and yeah, I mean, what can you say that hasn't already been said? It's amazing. Um, I thought it was wonderful and really enjoyed the experience. Would still love to see it live. Cause I think my only criticism would be, it's so hard to replace that um, when it comes to musicals, because you know, everything you're talking about Palmer about like pacing and superfluous people. I feel like there's a magic when you're watching it live where you're, you don't yeah. even notice that. Like it's kind of like when I watched uh like, you know, not definitely not on the same level, but when I saw like Jersey boys, I walked out of there like, this is the kind of music I like now. And then you try to like listen to it without that movie. And you're like, no, I still don't. Um, there's just a magic that happens <laughs> while you're there where you are really immersed in that world. And so I would love to see it live, but I think it totally counts as a movie and very much enjoyed it. So I think it's a good pick. Cool. Cool. All right. Then we're, we're into our number ones. Um, I hate to push us through these quickly, but after these, we got to do the 2020 rewindies really oh, fast yeah, yeah. because I was supposed to walk the dog 45 minutes ago. So let's do this. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, your number one, Lisa. I'm scared. 
to admit this because I feel like so many people are going to disagree with this, but I'm just going to say it. My number one is we don't read emails anyway. I know (laughs) my number one is Tenet. I really liked that movie a lot. I didn't end up seeing it, so I can't disagree with you. I bought it because I was like, I, you know, I could have waited until I could rent it, but it's Christopher Nolan. I'm going to like it. So Mm-hmm. I think this movie is way better than people give it credit for. I think that a lot of... Well, I, I've heard the criticism that the volume is an issue. And I've talked to so many people that have that same issue. It must have been the case in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters, so I had zero audio issues. I will start with that. Um, but I also felt that it wasn't that complicated. Like There is a part in the movie towards the end where they start stacking a little too many things on top of each other and in the moment i was like i don't really get it but maybe i'll just watch it again and i'll understand this part it, it didn't feel like it was important enough to the story to where it derailed me but i liked the idea of the film i feel like this is a natural progression that you know christopher nolan would go from like inception to something like this i feel like he cannot resist making these like time dimension bending reality bending james bond movies he's just gonna keep doing that and i'm so here for it so i thought it was wonderful and i can't wait to see it again all right yeah, I, Palmer's I, to talk, talk yeah, about it. i did see it and it was funny you guys were talking about the devil all the time and robert pattinson doing a voice he does an accent here, and I don't know what it is. Like, I don't think it's actually a, an actual accent anywhere in the world. But my biggest my biggest issue with this, the action sequences are really good. It's really well shot, visually stunning. Love Christopher Nolan. I will watch anything he does, even if I don't end up liking it. My biggest problem is, for a two-and-a-half-hour movie, it felt like there was still parts that were cut out. Mm-hmm. And that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Like, especially the very beginning where they jump from, like, one scene and then they're halfway around the world in a, in the next second. That's true. It almost felt like like an inception where you realize halfway through the scene you're in a dream and that's how they got there so fast. But this movie doesn't have right. that reasoning. So it's like, how yeah. did that happen? So, yeah, that's, that's so a, that That's a like common my... problem in Christopher Nolan films. Like, you'd be like, how did you... How did you arrive there so quickly? Ba- uh, Dark Knight, Re- Dark Knight Rises has that same issue. Oh yeah, not that's that true. like Bruce like makes it back from the pit to Gotham. Like who cares? He's Batman. Of course he got in. That's not the issue. The issue is how did you get there within like an hour? Like you know, like that's yeah, that's the like that's just Christopher Nolan's like it's a movie. Shut up. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a movie. Shut up. Yeah, you know, it's very like, watch like it, what watch he it thinks theater, is important versus what the rest of us <laughs> think is important. <laughs> and it's kind of like you have to right. go with that when you watch his movies. But I I agree that this – I did have a problem with that even in The Dark Knight Rises. So I, I have to agree with you there, Palmer. Like that should have been explained a little bit better because I was watching the movie and going – I was like – did. Did I miss a scene? Like I was like, you know, <laughs> where where are they now? What time is it? Like, yeah, that and right. it doesn't it, it they haven't gotten there yet into the movie where they start playing with time and stuff, so there's no real reason why that should have happened. Okay, you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the level of importance in a, in Christopher Nolan for movies goes you have to see it in a movie theater. Mm. The end. It's the end. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Uh, Palmer, you're number two, which I think I can tell everybody um, that you're number one. Sorry, you're number two. 
Um, I bet number two because you're the second person to go, so I got confused. But I think I can tell. I think I can guess that your number one is Birds of Prey. Am I correct? Um, as we all know, I absolutely love love. Mm-hmm. You do, and I do. And my number one is a love story. So it is easily the best love story I have seen in a long time. It is very emotional and heart-wrenching. And it is Birds of Prey. Because no one loves anything on this earth more than Harley Quinn loved that egg sandwich. (laughs) Truth. That is true. That is true. Why why is um, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey or slash Birds of Prey? Uh, Prey and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Fantabulous emancipation. Oh, yeah. Fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. God, it's your favorite movie, not Palmer. Yeah. (laughs) It is. It is. It is great. It has. So when Suicide Squad, the the trailer came out, there was such a kinetic energy to it that I feel like even though I love Suicide Squad, it failed to do in the movie. This movie does it in spades. The action sequences are so energetic and kinetic that it just it goes over uh, uh, well goes over well McGregor McGregor, uh, is phenomenal as Black Mask I love the intensity and the craziness and at times zaniness that in another movie would work against it but fits in this movie he brings such a great energy. Margot Robbie is always great as Harley Quinn. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead is is both is both very like touching at times. Like you would just want to give her a hug because of her childhood and her thinking about it. But is also one of the funniest people in this movie. Uh, you have Journey Smollett as Black Canary, who was really good. Directed by Kathy Yan. This is one of her. This is like her first movie with a budget. Uh, but she is a great director who I will keep an eye out now, going forward. I hope she does other stuff. I would love to see her do a sequel or a TV show on HBO Max. But I would also love to see what she does next with her career because she knocks us out of the park. Nice. I liked Birds of Prey a lot. I, I it did it, It's in my. It's in the top somewhere. I don't know where it is exactly but um uh, i liked it a lot uh, i think uh, to your point that love story with the egg sandwich is is wonderful and i think <laughs> i think journey smollett and um ewan mcgregor are like the the knockouts for me i think that they were both like uh, tremendously captivating uh and i would i would watch more of them uh, actually um you know, and that would, uh, well, although that would be hard. For really everyone. can't. Yeah. That'd be hard <laughs> spoilers, for one of them. But... I, spoilers, but. Yeah. Spoilers. I won't say which one, but it will be hard for one of them. Um, but yeah, good, uh, good, good on choice. Um, at least you want to say anything about Birds of, of Prey? Them, I, like, go ahead. Oh, I, I liked Birds of Prey a lot. Um, I don't, do I think it was like a perfect hero movie? No, but I enjoyed it. It was something different. And I think sometimes something just being a little bit different will like, raise it for me, you know, just because so many of them are so similar and, uh, in that genre. And so I really liked it. Um, it did feel like a first big project for her as a director for Kathy, I think. Um, so whereas a lot of people are like, Oh, I didn't like it or da, da, da. I'm like, it does feel like a first go at something to be honest, but in a good way, like so much potential could get even better. 
all the characters in the movie I really enjoy. Some of them I wish I got more of, and some sequences I wish I saw more of. But overall, I have to say that I had a good time, and I've seen it more than once, so I really liked it. So yeah, I hope that we see more of of everybody in the movie and more of, from the director as well. I love the the shot of them sliding down, like the funhouse slide towards the end, fighting. Yes. You know, pretty much, they knocked out a cameraman, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and the you know it was her first big budget movie, but I think it's good that she had say Margot Robbie who's played the character mm-hmm. to kind of be there and be like, well. You know, this is what I've learned from the character, and I like how they kind of uh, evolved Harley Quinn's character from Suicide Squad to this, both attitude, being emancipated from the Joker, and her style. Like, her clothing style is completely different, and there's just a lot of subtleness to this movie that you don't really catch until you watch it too three, four times. And if anybody wants to know anything ever about this movie, there's a great thread on Twitter uh, by Lauren Wynn, which is like 90,000 tweets detailing about every single aspect of this movie. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. Indeed. All right. And to wrap it up, my number one is Emma, uh, directed by uh, Autumn DeWilde, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, this is the um, this is the um, remake redo um, another version of Jane Austen's Emma, which is about a a young woman who meddles in the love lives of all of her friends. Um, I watched I watched it with my wife during you know quarantine whatever. And we were like, oh Emma, right? I forgot that came out this year. And like as soon as the movie was done, I was ready to watch it again. I was like, that was so wow. good. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. It, it hit. All of the marks I needed it to. Um, it was a comedy, which people tend to forget about Jane Austen sometimes. People are like, oh, Jane Austen is all the frills and the this and the that. And you're like, y- you know she was making fun of everything, right? Like that was like their, that why she was writing to make fun of stuff. And there's a, there's a, a real wit, um, wit and energy to the movie. It moves at a really good, cl- moves at a really good clip. Um, I, it's a, it's almost like if Wes Anderson was like, I wonder what would happen if I directed a Jane Austen movie. Um, that's, that's a bit of its, um, that's a bit of its style. And I, um, especially it's cinematography, which I love, but, um, it's excellent. And, uh, every time Bill Nye shows up on screen is just <laughs> the, the best cause he's Bill Nye. And, uh, so I absolutely recommend it if period pieces and, the 19th century England and Jane Austen are your thing. But if you're looking for a good time to take you away from the world for two hours, this is also something that's going to do for you. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I haven't seen it. So we'll definitely need to check that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's on the max. So, oh, okay. Okay. Um, yes. Awesome. On the max. So, all right. Well, uh, that was, uh, that was super fun. Before we get into the 2020 rewindies, um, you can find us at academyrewind.com. Uh, and at Academy Rewind on Gmail and Twitter and at TimothyPG13 for myself, at Academy Rewind for Palmer, um, ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to check out all the ThoughtBubble Audio shows, Patreon.com slash audio to support all um, ThoughtBubble Audio programs. Lisa, where can the people find you? Hi. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast. And you can find my podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search I Love That Movie. 
fantastic. We like to do that before the rewindies so people pay and listen. They have to listen to the commercial before we get to the award <laughs> ceremony. Um, all right. So 2020 rewindies. Um, these are the same the same awards that we give out on a regular episode, except that we can only choose the movies that were in our um, – the movies that we saw in 2020. Um, whether you stayed within your top ten or not is your is your call. I flipped back and forth a lot. I've decided to stay within the top 10 movies because otherwise I was never going to make a decision. So um, I will say the category and then Lisa will say her name. Palmer will say his name and I will say my name. All right. Okay. Supporting actor, Lisa. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm ill prepared for this part. I didn't think about this part. Um. Supporting actor, I will give it to Robert Pattinson in Cool Devil All the Time. <laughs> Devil All the Time. Excellent. Palmer. Uh, I'm going to give it to Ewan McGregor. That's a good one. Ewan, that's a good one. Yeah, Birds of Prey. I'm going to give it to yep. Sasha Baron Cohen for uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. Good choice. Which is yeah. a good choice. I just, like, that movie to me was a very ensemble cast. It, it was, but you know what? I can only pick out of my top ten, so what are you going to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> supporting actress, Lisa. Uh, supporting actress, I will give it to, uh, let's say, Tina Fey in Soul. Just because I'm noticing nice. that my list is very male-heavy. <laughs> and there's not and a also lot supporting of actress, supporting so. actresses for <laughs> yeah. everything that I always say. I did, I did not think that through. So, yeah, I'm going to say Tina Fey. Okay. Do you want me to change up the order to give you a little bit more time between categories? No, it's okay. I'll, I'll figure it oh. out. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on board. Don't worry. Okay. Um, Palmer, supporting actress. Supporting actress, I am giving to Samara Weaving but not for um, the movie that she was in in my top ten. I'm giving it to her for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Nice. She plays she plays uh, one of the daughters. She plays Alex Winter's daughter, who is Ted or Bill. I can never remember which one. It's which. Bill. The blonde guy. It's Bill. Mm -hmm. All right, so she plays Bill's kid, but she acts a lot like Ted, and it's just... It's hilarious and great. She is a treasure in that movie. That movie's such right. a treat. I mean, that, what a blessing. It really is. What, what like, a gift. Yep, especially awesome. this year. All right, I'm going to stop you because remember, I have to walk the dog. So no more talking about okay. the movies. <laughs> Just tell me the categories. Um, <laughs> supporting actress, uh, I'm going to give to Philippa Sue for Hamilton. Uh, Lisa, production design. Uh, production design, I'm going to give that to... I'll give that to Tenet. I like nope. I like the way that looked. End of story. Palmer, <laughs> Palmer production design. Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Emma. Okay. Costume design. Lisa. Um, I'll give that to Enola Holmes out of the movies I saw. Nice. Uh, Palmer. Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. And I'm also going to give that to Emma for myself because a period piece always gets an award. So Yes, that's true. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, Lisa. Um, I will give that to, I think, Devil All the Time, actually. Nice. Yeah, good stuff in there. Uh, Palmer, makeup and hairstyling. Rebecca. Oh, nice. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to give it to Emma for makeup and hairstyling because, you know, it's, they all work together. Uh, best music, Lisa. Uh, soul. Nice. Yeah, nice. Palmer, best music. Birds of Prey. Okay. I'm going to give it to Emma because it has a slapping soundtrack. Recommend. Okay. Uh, Lisa, visual effects. Uh, Tenet. Cool. Uh, Palmer, visual effects. Scoob. Scoob. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. No, uh, actually, actually, New Mutants. I really enjoyed the effects out of New Mutants. New Mutants. Okay. okay. Uh, visual effects I'm going to give to The Invisible Man. Because uh, it was That's one of the only one. movies that actually really had visual effects. <laughs> Very true. Um, uh, cinematography, Lisa. Uh, Tenet again. <laughs> Tenet? It would be cool. either Tenet yeah. or Invisible Man. One of those two. Nice. Palmer? Invisible Man. Invisible Man. Nice. I'm going to give cinematography to Soul because I can do that. Because it's the Rewindies. We can do whatever we want. Even if the camera is in the computer. Um, it's in the computer. It's in the computer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, editing, Lisa. Uh, I liked what you said about Palm Springs, and I think I'm going to agree with you and give it to Palm Springs. Nice, Palmer. I'm going to give it to Guns Akimbo. Cool. Uh, I am also going to give it to Palm Springs because I would be a terrible hypocrite if I said all that <laughs> stuff about <laughs> editing and gave it somewhere else. Um, best sound. This is mixing and editing together. Best sound, Lisa. Not Tenet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to give it to The Invisible Man. I thought that soundtrack, the mood, yeah, the sound is like intense in that film and it works. Nice. nice. Yep. Palmer. Invisible Man. Invisible Man. Um, I would be with you guys if the, the way that sound is utilized in Sound of Metal wasn't so innovative uh. and awesome. So I'm going to give it to Sound of Metal. Um, we have just actor, actress, and writing coming up. So let's do best actor, Lisa. Uh, best actor. I'm going to give it to you. I don't know. Uh, man, I have no idea. Um, come back to me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Palmer, best actor. Ben Affleck in the way back. Cool. Oh yeah. Way back. Cool. Good for Yeah, That just missed out my top 10. Nice. Um, my best actor I'm going to give to Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. And uh, so back to you, Lisa. Oh, for no. Best actor. Um, for best. <laughs> Here we are again. Uh, you know uh, what? I meant get back to me next year. <laughs> Gosh. Um, this is too hard. I, I don't know who is the best actor this year. This is terrible. Um, let's give it. I, I keep wanting to give it to a, a woman, but that's actress. Uh Right. Let's just give it to Pattinson because he's having a moment. <laughs> okay. Even though you also gave him, even though you also gave the supporting actor to him. Oh yeah, yeah. I did do actor, that. <laughs> actor goes to Pattinson and Tennant. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. No, I'm kidding. Um. Oh my God, I can't do it, y'all. I, I have to think more about it. Just give it to Tom. Just give it to Tom Holland. Okay. Sure. Call, like I just he's feel the only like person somebody you spoke about. somewhere is like gonna dramatically sigh if they hear that. But sure, let's give it to Tom Holland. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. We don't we don't live with those people, so it's right, fine. Right, don't worry right. about it. Um okay, so best actress. Um do you have somebody in your head, Lisa? Uh Moss for Invisible Man. Cool. That's Moss a for Invisible Man. Great choice. Palmer. Margot Robbie. Margot, Margot Robbie. Robbie for Birds of Prey. I'm also gonna give it to yep. Elizabeth Moss for Invisible Man. Um good. Best writing, Lisa. 
Uh, I get, I'll go with the trial of the Chicago Seven. Cool. Yep. Trial. Yeah. I had trial for a long time, um, but I, I kept flopping between that and soul. And so I'm going to go with soul just to, to be different because that's what I have written down the last time before we started this. Um, but it kept going back and forth. Um, and so that that was it. And then best picture. Um, so Lisa's tenant, Palmer's was Birds of Prey, and mine was Emma. Yay! Yay. We did it, everyone. I think I just did under it. two hours. I didn't pick Yay. enough smart movies this time to <laughs> to pick like a best actor. I think category. <laughs> they were like mean? they all were in a movie. Yes, yeah, I know exactly it's like what you all, mean. All of, it's like yeah, none of them were really you know like they were just I... it. The trial of the Chicago Seven is like the closest, but as you all already said, it's an ensemble cast. It's too hard. I understand. I honestly have been thinking about this a lot over the past couple of weeks, and like I can't even begin to fathom what the Oscar lists are going to look like. Aren't there not going to be any? Or am I? It's it's going to be later. Yeah, they're pushed back, and the cutoff now is like the beginning of February. I so see. Okay. It's going to be interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so <laughs> we can all be aware WB is officially pushing the cast of Wonder Woman 84 for your consideration. No. Like, so yeah. that's where this, that's where this is this year. So, well, that's not um, a good idea. <laughs> as much nope. as I enjoyed that movie, that's, I enjoyed that movie, but that's not a good idea. But um, I think they should have pushed. Uh, listen, everybody, uh, they are over. playing us off. So we have to go. So, okay. no, I have more people to pay. Not too bad. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.